day and welcome to another great message from Mr. Christian Outreach Church. We pray you'll be inspired and equipped by this teaching. For more information on Noosa Christian Outreach Church, please check out our website at noosacoc.org.au. Enjoy. morning church. Wow, you're looking awesome. Turn to the person next to you and just let them know how great they're looking this morning. All these Noosa people, sun-kissed faces. (laughs) We've had a great time. Sam has uh, joined me on this trip, uh, which has been awesome. I mean, who isn't going to want to tag along to Noosa, right? So um, it's just been so lovely and the weather's been amazing. We've had a great time. So thank you for your hospitality. Um, Sam and I are from Redcliffe, which is just on the north side of Brisbane. And uh, we pastor a church there, one of the City Point locations on the north side there in Redcliffe. And, um, and we've been there for five years. We actually just realized this morning that it's been five years uh, in September, which is right now. So um, before that, we were the youth pastors at City Point down in Carindale, and we did that for longer than we can count. We actually don't even know how many years it was. It might have been 11 or 14 or something like that, but it was awesome. And um, so God's got us on a great journey, as he has you. We're all on a journey. Amen. We have four children, and our oldest is 12, and her name's Maya. Layla is 10, Judah is 7, and Jesse is 4 and a half. And they've had a great time this weekend as well without mum and dad. You know, they give us the courtesy call. Hi, mum. How are you going? Okay, see you. Bye. And I'm like, great. You're having a great weekend. <laughs> That's awesome. They just call me to put me at ease, I think. And um, so it's been awesome. So thank you. Thank you, church. Thank you to your amazing pastors. Can we honor your pastors this morning, Josh and Kristen? Would you mind standing? I have a word for you. Sam, would you just stand and put your hands on them? I just have this word that I feel like God wants to encourage you with, and it's the word ease. Um, I just see that there's a spirit of ease around you. I don't know whether that's something that you naturally are or something you're about to step into, but the word ease. And he wants you to know that you're, what, what I'm sensing is this um, pushing back from striving and just into ease. And I can see that there's just going to be this health that continues to grow as you rest in him, as you're obedient to his voice, as you push back expectation or demands that you may put on yourself or others may put on you or, you know, maybe even comparison. Just as you push those things back and come into a discipline of being in the presence of God, leaning on him, I just see the word ease over your life. And I feel like you're going to step into a greater measure of what you've already experienced. I feel like there's a blessing on this house. There's a health on this house. And as you just press more into that ease, those unforced rhythms, that, that, that you're going to step into a greater measure of the blessing and the health. Um, I see like a synergy taking place where you've had great men and women. I see armor bearers around you. I see great men and women around you. But there's going to be this synergy that takes place where there's going to be more and more of that. And there's no one necessarily out the front. I don't see you as the sort of leaders that have to be on a pedestal. I see this as a team that just is growing and becoming more influential. And, um, and I just want to encourage you with that word ease, almost like take it to the bank, lean on that, and just see what God will do as you, as you realize more and more that God's got a greater agenda than even you do.
and you can rely on him. This is his thing. And, um, and he's got you in this position for a reason. And uh, just be encouraged and, and just wait and see. Wait and see what God wants to do and who he wants to bring around you in this next season. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, this morning I have a few moments to share with you. And I want to share with you around this topic of how to live a life of influence. Give me a wave if you want to live a really mediocre life. No one put their hands up. That is a good start, okay? No, none of us want to live a mediocre life, okay? Because we're actually all designed by heaven to live a life of influence. Even the most introverted people influence other people. And so I want to speak this morning around this idea of how to live a life of influence. About eight years ago, Sam and I took um, our two girls, we just had the two girls at the time, we took them to Europe. My family are from Poland and so we went back to visit family and so Maya was only about four years old and Layla was two. And so we're in Eastern Europe in Poland, which... You know, some parts of Eastern Europe are not, you know, they're still developing, they're still coming along. And so there are some parts of Poland that aren't necessarily pleasing on the eye or even the senses. And so, you know, you're kind of keeping your wits about you and and keeping your things close. And um, this one particular day we were in Krakow and we were in this multi-story shopping center shopping because that's what you do when you're on holidays. And so we're shopping and we were in a shoe store because that's what you do when you're a female and you're shopping on holidays. And so we were there, Sam and I and the two girls and my mum was also on the trip with us. And so we're there in the shoe store and, and I went over to Sam and I said to him, hey Sam, where's Layla? And he goes, oh, I thought she was with you. No, no, she was definitely with you. I definitely thought she was with you. Who knows that sometimes you can make assumptions, right? And unless you've communicated the plan, you should not make assumptions because everyone assumed that everyone else had the children. And so mum assumed we had it covered. I assumed Sam had it covered. Sam assumed I had it covered. In the end of the day, our two-year-old was missing in the middle of the multi-story shopping center in Krakow. And I immediately went into panic. Every parent knows what this feels like. That panic and my mind went from, you know, to the worst case scenario in like point nothing of a second. And I was imagining the worst things straight away. And so we split up. We split efforts. One of us went that way. The other one went that way. And mum went to center management because she could speak the best Polish and she was going to try to alert center management. And so we're looking and looking and I was in a panic running around looking for this tiny little person. I had no idea where to even start. I know some of you probably know exactly what this is like. This has maybe happened to a few of you in the room. And I'm looking and panicking and and I just remember thinking to myself, hang on a minute. I pray for this child every single day. It was like something shifted in me. God, this is your problem. I am cashing in on those prayers right now. Where is my daughter? Tell me where my daughter is. And I felt like the Spirit of God say to me, if you were two years old, where would you go? And so I was like, I don't know. So I went back to the shoe store and I stood in the entrance of the shoe store and just looked out. And right across the way was an arcade. I was like, well, if I was a two-year-old and I walked out of this store, that's exactly where I would go, where all the shining lights are and the toys and the rides and... 
And so I was like, I started just, I guess, out of obedience, just walking towards this arcade. She'd better be there. And as I got closer, I saw her sitting on one of those little coin-operated rides that obviously wasn't working because she didn't have any coins. And she had, you know, by now, I think about 15 minutes had passed. And she had that look on her face like she'd suddenly realized she was lost. You know that look on her face like she just looked like she'd seen a ghost. And she suddenly was like, I'm alone. I don't know where my parents are. There are strangers all around me speaking a language I don't understand. She just had that look like everything had just sunk in. And then she saw me and she burst into tears and I dropped everything I was carrying. It was this beautiful reunion in the middle of the shopping center. And so I scooped her up and, um, and she said to me she wanted to go to the bathroom. So I started to take her to the bathroom. And you need to you know, remember that most bathrooms in shopping centers are back corridors, you know. And so by now, my mum had gotten to centre management and alerted all the security guards. And so I'm carrying this young child down a back corridor of the shopping centre and I, could he- I can understand Polish and I can speak it as well. And I could hear um, that there was a security guard following me because I could hear what was being said to him over his intercom. Blonde girl, piggy tails, pink and white striped shirt and I'm carrying her. And I turn around I said to him, She's mine. I promise you she's mine. And somehow Layla convinced him, yes, this is my mom. And it was all good. But it was one of the most horrific experiences of my life. It was so unnerving. But it made me think about that's exactly what we can be like. Is Layla lost in this place not knowing she's lost? Most of us, all of us are like that. We don't even realize we're lost until we realize we're lost. We've been wooed away by the shiny, flashy, plush things of the world. We're sitting on a stupid mechanical ride that just wants our money and takes us nowhere. We're indulging in all these things that are shiny and bright and flashy and we have no idea what trouble we're in. We have no idea how lost we are. We have no idea how exposed we are. We have no idea how vulnerable we are and what danger we're in. We have no idea that there's a parent frantically searching for us until suddenly we realize. And I don't know if you can remember that moment, but I remember that moment when I realized how lost I was. And I also remember the moment when I saw my Father God coming for me. And that sudden sense of being found, being loved, being the subject of a search, a deep search, being so wanted and hunted and looked for and desired, being, being the, 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 the source of someone's anguish and desire, that feeling of he's come looking for me. And he's found me. This is us with God. And it's such a beautiful picture of that moment with Layla just reminded me of the mess we get ourselves in and the heart, Father heart of God. And it's also the story of the Israelites. I love the story of the Israelites because it just shows me how stupid I am. Anyone else relate to the story of the Israelites? It's like they are loved by God who picks them for no reason. No reason, just that he wanted to. 
I'm picking you and I'm favouring you. Hello, anyone else like that? I just pick you because I love you, just because I want to favour you. Nothing you've done, not because you're good looking or smart or anything like that, just because I want to pick you and bless you. And so he does that with the Israelites. He picks them as a people group. He rescues them out of slavery. He, he promises them an inheritance like our God promises us all good things, all good things. And they follow him and they, you know, confess their love and adoration for him. And then left unattended for a few minutes, they're worshiping other idols and throwing things of God away. And, and they're just to and fro, to and fro, constantly in the arcade, constantly getting themselves in trouble. And just reminds me of myself and humanity and who we are. And these two words that I've kind of ascribed over my life in response to the Father heart of God is the fact that I am ransomed and commissioned. I'm ransomed, which means that he found me, he paid for me, he paid a price I can't pay, I could never pay. He paid that price for me. I found my answer when I found him, my salvation. I was ransomed, I was favored, delivered. I was chosen as his own. And God did that with the Israelites. He chose them as his own people. And as I've studied the Israelites over years and years and years, just relating to them so well, is that I learned that um, many of the scholars actually describe why he chose them and favored them. And they sum it up like this. God chose the Israelites and the Israelites are a picture of us, a picture of the church. He chose us to be an example of spirituality in the world. Rather than political or territorial dominance, they were meant to be an example of moral purity and holiness. That was their destiny. And I love what Pastor Josh was saying this morning about going to the local members and reminding them of their moral responsibility. That's the call of the church is to be an example of moral courage in the world. And so God picks the Israelites for that purpose, not to have political dominance, although they do, because God's good that way. Not to be prosperous financially, although they are, because God's good that way, but because he wants us to be an example in a world that is so depraved and sensuous and backwards. He wants us to be a light. And so he ransoms us for that reason. And I guess my anchor scripture in this thought is Ephesians 4 verse 1 that says we should live a life worthy of the calling we've received. That we're living a life, the Amplified Bible says, live a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That is, to live a life that exhibits godly character, moral courage, personal integrity and mature behavior. A life that expresses gratitude to God for your salvation. Living a life worthy of the calling you've received is a life that expresses gratitude for that moment he saved you at the arcade. That moment you realize you were desperately lost and he was right there and you spend your life being grateful for that. That's what it is to live a life worthy of the call. And so we have the Israelites who are a picture of us, God's people. And then we have Canaan, which is the world that God is calling them into to inherit and possess. And Canaan is a picture of the world. 
a picture of everything in the world that's depraved and backwards according to the kingdom of God and against the kingdom of God. And so we see him ransom his people just to commission them back into the world. And so we're ransomed and commissioned to be an answer. When we're ransomed, we find our answer. When we realize we're commissioned, we become an answer. I want you to repeat after me. I am. Okay, the whole room. I am an influence looking for a place to happen. I am an influence looking for a place to happen. That's what it means to be commissioned. That you don't just sit on your salvation. You realize God has ransomed you to commission you. I am an influence looking for a place to go off and explode and make a difference. I want to tell you that God's people bring change. God's people push back darkness. God's people release good. And we're not waiting for an invitation. We're not waiting for permission. We are ordained and commissioned by God just to be that in the world. An influence looking for a place to happen. Ephesians 2 verse 10 tells us, We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, the good works that he has created in advance for us to do. We're not saved by good works. We're saved for good works. I'm an influence looking for a place to happen. My mandate is to bring heaven to earth so that more of earth can get to heaven. That is the commission. And that is living a life worthy of the call. And so if you're taking notes this morning, I'd love for you to put the word ransomed on one side of the page and commissioned on the other side of the page. And as I'm speaking, I'd love for you to just ask the Spirit of God to reveal to you, God, what have you ransomed me from? Just remember that this morning. What have you ransomed me from? And then on the other side, what are you commissioning me to? Just this morning as we go through the message, I know what God ransomed me from. God ransomed me from a dysfunctional family background so that I could raise a godly family, children who would be influencers in their community. I know that God ransomed me from a poverty performance mentality, that nothing was ever enough, that I was always in lack and never satisfied so that I could step into the prosperity of God and be a blessing to the world around me. I know that God healed my body so that I could be a testimony to the world of his miraculous power. What has he ransomed you from? And what is he commissioning you to? And so this morning, how to live this life of influence? Because the Israelites were called to influence. I want to tell you, no matter who you are, how confident or unconfident you feel, how adequate or inadequate you feel, the word of God to you this morning is, you are born for influence. You were born to bring good. You were born to bring heaven to earth. It's the reason God's got you in your workplace, in your family. And so the Israelites had this mandate over their lives and they kind of stuffed it up over and over again. So how to live a life of influence by doing the opposite of what the Israelites did. Are you ready this morning? Three thoughts, the opposite of what the Israelites did. The first one is keep your first love first. Keep your first love first. 
the Israelites constantly fell into idolatry, which means they set up in their hearts other gods, other things that stole their affections. They misplaced the order of the affections of their heart. And they were constantly chasing after other gods. We need to keep our first love first, to keep our eyes on the prize. You know, there's this amazing account in Exodus 33 where it tells us that whenever Moses went to meet with God in the tent, that all the Israelites, when they're in the wilderness between slavery and freedom on their way to Canaan, their their inherited land, their promise, that there was a tent that Moses would meet God in. And every time he went there, all the people were to get up and stand at the entrances of their tents and watch him go into the tent as, I guess, a sign of honor and reverence and respect, knowing that their leader was about to meet with God. And once he had gone into the tent and he was out of their sight, they were, ready, they were, um, they were permitted just to go back to their daily business. So they would. They'd watch him go into the tent and then carry on with their day. Except there was this one young guy in Exodus 33, and his name was Joshua. And he didn't go back to his daily business. After Moses was in the tent, Joshua stayed watching that tent. He kept his eyes on the presence of the Lord. And I want to remind you, this is not actually a trick question, but who was the one who went into the promise? Joshua. All the others died in the wilderness. It was the one guy who kept his first love first that inherited his promise. Everyone else got carried away with the cares of life. And I want to tell you, life happens. And all of us, most of us are like the rest of us. We've all got something going on. You know, it's like we live this parallel life where like God's awesome and everything's amazing, but we've got all this rubbish happening at the same time. We're all the same. The grass isn't actually greener anywhere else. We're all going on a journey. But those of us who keep our first love first will step into the promise. Those of us who get carried away with the cares of life may not. Keep your first love first if you want to live a life of influence. The second thought is conquer the people as well as the land. Conquer the people as well as the land. You know, I've been guilty of this. Many times the church teaches about the Israelites and conquering Canaan and getting through Jericho to get to Canaan. And they, they finish the story there like, yay, they got their promise. But actually, <laughs> it's an ongoing story. Joshua and the Israelites had to keep conquering land. They had to keep conquering kings. They had to keep moving ahead and advancing. And many of us can get a little bit complacent when we have a victory and think, I've made it, not realizing there's more land for us to conquer. There are more kings for us to take down. And have you heard the the saying, new levels, new devils? Hello, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. And the trouble with the Israelites is that they would take down a king, they would take a people group, but they wouldn't conquer the people. And so over time, these people groups would build in strength and then start resurgences. And in no time, the Israelites were at the mercy of their enemy in their own land. So I want to tell you, it's not just about the king or a flag that you're conquering. It's about those rotten little people groups that you need to conquer as well. Because small things don't stay small. And so 
Many of us, we want the healing. God, I need victory. I need victory in my healing. I want, I'm believing and God gives you your healing. But I want to ask you, what are the people that you need to conquer as well? Your diet, your exercise, your lifestyle. You have to conquer the small things, not just the big things. God, I'm believing for a promotion. I'm believing for a promotion. We get the promotion. The little things are, are you going to turn up to work early? Are you going to speak well of your boss? Are you going to go the extra mile? God, I just am believing for an amazing marriage and and, and an amazing partner that we can serve you together. You get an amazing partner. Are you going to honor them, submit to them, respect them, speak well of them, serve them? What are the people groups you need to conquer, not just the kings? The small things. Ecclesiastes tells us that the little, uh, fox, sorry, song of songs, the little foxes spoil the vine. It's the little things. And we can be so enamored with the big that we underestimate the other stuff that goes on and catches us off guard if we're not aware. So conquer the people as well as the land. And my last thought for you this morning is so simple. Just do the right thing. Just do the right thing to live a life of influence. Just do the right thing. The Israelites often compromised. And the enemy is relentlessly trying to get us to compromise, to water down our faith, to water down our convictions. But when we do the right thing is when we stand out. When we do the right thing is when we bring that potent power of heaven into our situations. And that's what our earth needs. Disobedience will keep you out of your destiny. It will. The Israelites rejected God's ways and adopted worldly practices and traditions. You only have so much capacity in your hands, as Pastor Josh was saying. And if you're carrying around the things of the world, you can't be also carrying around the things of God. And what we can often do is put down the things of God and pick up the things of the world. That's what the Israelites did in their compromise. They forsook the things of God and what he was asking of them, and they picked up the things of the world. And to live a life of influence, we need to do the right things. I want to promise you this morning, God is not holding out on you. It's one of the greatest lies the enemy uses. It was the first lie he used. Well, Eve, isn't God just holding out on you? It was a lie and he still uses it today. And he speaks into our relationships. And and you know, you know that God says to keep sex within the bounds of marriage, but God's holding out on me. No, he's not. You know what God says to you about finance in the kingdom of God, but maybe God's holding out on me. We do this in every area of our life. If we're not careful, the enemy is going to make us believe that God's holding out on us. I want to tell you why God puts beautiful boundaries around our lives is because he wants you, like Daniel, to be 10 times better than the world. He knows you. He knows the potential that's inside of you. He knows what he's destined you for. And you need to live that life of potency and trust in him. He loves me. He knows me. If he want, if he's asking this of me, it's for my best. He is not holding out on you. If you can hear anything this morning, know that his abundant love would never hold out on you. In fact, he's got 10 times more than you can even imagine, than you can even expect. So this morning, living a life God's way leads to blessing 
and healthy influence and healthy relationships and joy. Living a life in self-gratification leads to brokenness and loss and heartbreak. To live a life of influence, just do the right thing. Even when your soul is warring within you, just do the right thing. Just do the right thing. Lord God, I thank you this morning for your ransom. I thank you this morning for your saving grace. Father God, that you sent an army after us to find us, to rescue us. In the middle of a dark night, God, you came to us. And I thank you this morning for that reality. It is a reality. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word, for your promise that speaks into our future. It says, I have a future and a hope for you, for good and not for evil, to prosper you. And Lord God, we receive that truth as truth. Father God, I thank you this morning for every heart in this room. Lord, wherever they are on the journey, Lord, the ones who may know you and the ones who may not. Father, that you know every single one and you know every single circumstance. And your heart searches. Your heart searches to bring us back to wholeness, to fullness in your grace. And this morning, while everyone's got their heads bowed, I want to offer you an invitation. I remember sitting in a room just like this, hearing a message about the love of God. And the preacher offered an invitation to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of my life. And I responded to that decision in that moment. I couldn't make sense of it all in my head, but my heart knew that I needed to respond, that this was a truth. And so I responded, and I want to tell you that making Jesus the Lord and Savior of my life that day was the best decision I've ever made. And it has framed every decision since then. And so this morning on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And if you want to respond, you want to say today, I want to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of my life. Maybe you're away from God. Maybe you've never been in relationship with him. Maybe you were once, but you've walked away. This morning, I'm inviting you to come, to come to him because he's searching for you. And today he's found you. Will you run back to him? So on the count of three, if that's you, you want to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, I'd love for you to give me a wave so I know who to pray for. One, God loves you so much. Two, you need to know he's not angry with you. He's not disappointed. He thinks you're amazing. Three, if that's you, why don't you give me a wave this morning as I look across the room. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Lord God, I thank you for a church that is on a journey. I thank you for a people who are going from glory to glory. Father, I thank you for a church that is called to influence and that is having influence. Father, I pray that this week you'd give us a greater revelation of what you've called us to. I pray that this week you'd inspire us, God, not to strive, not to be concerned with the cares of life, Father, but to lean into you, to look to you as our first love. Maybe there are some of us here who've been swept away by the cares of the world and you're calling us to be like Joshua and just to fix our eyes heavenward, to look to you, Father, that that's where rest is, that's where strength is, that's where grace is, that's where purpose is found and identity is found. Father, I pray this morning 
for a church with great calling, a church with great influence. Father, I thank you for individual families and homes, marriages and children and businesses. Father, for your hand of favor on every single one here this morning and the ones represented here this morning. The extension of your kingdom in a world that so desperately needs heaven. Father, I thank you for favor. I thank you for grace. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen and amen. Thank you, church.